just a quick reveal. Uh, that song that's playing in the background is from, oh, I tested a couple of people, and uh, they weren't quite able to figure it out. Anyone know what that song is from? That's from City of Angels, uh, where that... Uh, guy becomes a human because he falls in love with a girl or something like that. And so that's a no also, just in case you were curious. But see, it's all tying together. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. Let's do some shouts. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. So I hope you guys are blessed today. Thanks for joining us as we come together here at Jericho Road Church uh, to worship, to rest, to meet with God and to really uh, ask God to meet with us so that we could hear from him. I am always so stoked to be around such amazing people in worship, and so thank you guys for being here with me. I love you all so much, and so we're in our fourth week now of Angel Encounters, a series where we're learning spiritual truths from when angels interacted with humans on this planet. And it hasn't been so much about uh, a study of angels. Rather, it's the lessons we learn and the messages that they bring from God uh, in those angel angel encounter uh, angel encounters uh, woo angel <laughs> encounters there we go and so that's what we're talking about this morning as angels interact with ordinary folks just like ourselves so today we're going to look into an angel encounter with one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament if you've been at church at any amount of time you've heard heard his name his name is Isaiah. Check it out in Isaiah chapter 4. We're going to jump right into it. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah uh, that he died, I, I, this is being Isaiah, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, and he was seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, that's a name of an angel, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were, they were flying And they were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The sound of their voices at the doorposts and the thresholds, they shook and the the temple was filled with smoke. Want to hear a a strange Bible rabbit hole? You want to go down a little Bible rabbit hole with me just for a moment? The word seraphim, the name that they call that angel, seraphim, seraphim actually means fiery serpent. And that's kind of interesting, fiery serpent. And this fiery serpent has wings. So I was thinking about what is a fiery serpent that has wings and, and fire? That sounds like a, like a red dragon to me. I don't know. Maybe I've been watching too much. Uh, no, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but uh, um, too much sci-fi fantasy or that kind of stuff. Are these dragons really interesting? Serpents with wing that deal in fire. Now, when we think about them, they always look human in our mind, right? But there's no mention that they look like humans, and so I don't know. Then I'm thinking about, so I'm thinking about this fiery serpent, right? And then I think about Genesis, and I remember, what is it or who is it that tempts Adam and Eve? It is a serpent, right? Satan is an angel, and does he resemble these ones where he's a fiery serpent also with wings. If he has wings and he's flying, that makes a lot of sense when one of his curses is to crawl in the dust of the earth. It wouldn't make sense if he was a snake already crawling in the dust of the earth. And so I sort of was like, hmm, I started to think about that, you know. Uh, I'm not saying anything, I just don't know. But okay, side quest over, um, back to our regular. But uh, so I was thinking about that a bunch and like, what do the other angels look like? And 
And, you know, they all look different. Not all, angels don't all look the same. Even in the Bible, they have just some really strange descriptions. There's a couple of titles of them, cherubim, seraphim, and creatures. And these are all like uh, beings that have uh, will. They're independent. Uh, they have uh, thoughts. They have desires. So very interesting kind of stuff, these angels. Anyway, back to our passage. So in this passage, we see the second major thing that angels do. Last week, I told you the first major thing that angels do is they bring messages to humans. They're messengers. That's often how they're titled. The, the second major thing they do, and they don't do this temporarily. Temporarily, they bring messages. But at some point, we won't be on earth. We'll be with God in heaven, and they won't bring messages at that point. But what angels will do eternally is they will do what we saw in this passage, where they were glorifying God. That's their second major a reason for existing is just to glorify God. And we're going to see a little bit more about that next week. Um, today, we're going to look at Isaiah as he interacts with these angels. He's going to have three critical statements. So these angels are going to show up. He's, he gets this vision from God, or he's brought into the throne room from God. We're not sure how exactly how it works. And then the angels are going to speak to him, and he's going to get this vision from God. And then he's going to have three critical statements, three responses to his angelic encounter. Three confessions when he comes face to face with the supernatural. And they are the three statements that we too in our lives need to declare as we encounter the supernatural. So his three statements are going to be, first one is going to be, I'm sinful. The second one is going to be, here am I. And the third statement we're going to see is, send me. So let's check it out. Here's the first statement that I'm sinful. So he gets this. He's in that throne room. Angels are screaming out, holy, holy, holy. So things are shaking. Smoke's going. And here's what he says in Isaiah 6, 5. He says, woe to me. I cried out. He said, I'm ruined, dead. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's immediate reaction to being in the presence of the Lord is inadequacy on every level, especially on a spiritual level. The first thing he says is like, I'm seeing God in his throne room. You know what? I shouldn't be here. I am sinful. And not only am I sinful, I come from sinful people. There's not even anything good that's around me. His spiritual and moral inadequacy is noticed immediately by him. He blurts out that, that I'm sinful. That's his first statement. Like, oh, what am I doing here? Like, I don't belong here. This stuff is holy, it's good, it's perfect, it's amazing, and I'm not. In this moment, he believes that he's going to die because God is too good and he is too bad. He is sinful in the presence of sinless. He's the darkness, but here's the light. This is the universal first step of getting right with God, is realizing that we are wrong. The first step to get right with God is to realize that I am wrong. I'm not a good person on my own. I can't make it to heaven by doing good stuff by myself. I can't get right with God on my own merit. I'm sinful. I can't approach God. I can't fix it myself. Basically, I'm just hosed without God in a supernatural spiritual sense. I cannot get morally right. I am the darkness compared to his light. If we don't think that we're sick, then we won't go to the doctor. And if we don't think that we're sinners, we won't 
seek a savior. But we see that Isaiah clearly recognizes he is a sinner. And that's his first confession. And it ought to be ours. So in light of that, God has to act. See, Isaiah can't fix it. He gets into this place that's holy and perfect. He's like, I can't do anything. I'm hosed. He said, I'm ruined. And God has to act. Not Isaiah act. Not Isaiah get to God. Not Isaiah earn it. Not Isaiah be good enough. Or go to church enough or pray enough. Like he'd been to church a bunch. He'd been a Jewish whole life. He studied the scriptures. He memorized passages. And he gets in the presence of God. And he says, I can't get there. I'm ruined. And God has to act. Look what God does to remedy the situation in the very next verse. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. He was indeed unworthy. And in repentance, an acknowledgement of his shortcomings, those were the first steps to hearing God's word. He can't listen to God until he gets right with God, and he can't get right with God on his own. And so God says, I will come to you. I will purify you. I will bring atonement to you. I will take guilt from you. God's response was to cleanse him, to forgive him, and to take away his guilt. Because of his confession, he said, God, I'm sinful. I need you. And God says, I know you do. And so let me remedy that situation. It's now in this new spiritual space that he could hear and respond to the message that the angel came to deliver. And I think the same is is exactly true for us. God responds to all human sin by sending his son Jesus to pay for our sins because we can't get there. You can't study enough or be good enough or pray enough or go to church or, or be a good person. We can't get there. And so God provides an eternal remedy in Jesus Christ so that all people anywhere on all of the planet at any time can come to God if they recognize that they need God. He is available for all people. Now, I would say that's a total upgrade from the hot, cold to the lips thing. I like Jesus a lot better than that kind of idea. And so Isaiah's angel encounter sets the table for God to speak. And here's what God says, and look at Isaiah's response. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is in Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people, and then blah, 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 blah. And then the rest of the book of Isaiah, he's going to tell like what he's supposed to tell the people. God asks Isaiah, who's going to go for us? Who's willing to listen? Who's willing to respond to God's voice, to God's messenger? Isaiah's response is the right response. That's his second statement, his second important statement. First was that I'm a sinner. The second, he says, I am here, or here am I. As a response to God's goodness to him. I'm a sinner. God takes away guilt. God asks a question. He says, 
here am I. I'm available. I'm cleansed. And I'm willing. I may not be somebody, but I'm here. I'm me. I'm created on purpose, with a purpose. So here am I. It means he's, he's ready to show up. He's available. And there's a common phrase in sports that says, the best ability is availability. I'm a Clippers fan, and I know that's true. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they're never available. We can't win a playoff game because they're always injured. And so it doesn't matter how talented they are. They're not available. The best ability is availability. This quality is essential if we're going to respond to God rightly. I'm available. Not on my timetable. Not according to my plan. Not with what I've prepared God. But God asks the question, and I just say, here am I. God, I'm available. And then he says the third essential statement. Isaiah says, send me. Send me. Not because I'm someone, not because I'm better than anyone, not because I have it all together, but because I have been cleansed. I am here, and I am willing. I'm willing to do whatever you want, God. You ask who will go? Send me. I'm willing. Willingness is the key. It's not talent or charisma or luck or looks or how good or bad you are. It's willingness. It's not, it's not talent. It's not anything else. It's not education. It's not uh, uh, where you've been, how much Bible you've studied. It's willingness. And God sends Isaiah to tell people about his plan. And if you read the rest of the book of Isaiah, the rest of the book of Isaiah says, God says, I will send salvation to you. I love you and want you to be in heaven. I will send a, a Messiah for you. We look at Isaiah 53, if you get that far in Isaiah, if you didn't fall asleep by then, you know. God's words to the people through Isaiah are a promise of salvation. God's hope for eternity. Isaiah gets the great commission. And God gives each of us the great commission as well. Isaiah's narrative is the same God plan that he has for each of, each of us. Our lives ought to mirror Isaiah's response when God comes to him. And the key internal attribute that Isaiah has is willingness. See, Jesus says the same thing about willingness when he talks about becoming his disciple. Now check out his words that are recorded by Dr. Luke in his book in the ninth chapter. Dr. Luke writes this in Luke 9. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They've got to take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So the, look at that. You've got to be willing to deny yourself. It's, it's not about me. It's about God. And this could be so tough to deny myself because previously in all of my life, it's always about me. Our lives are self-centered. We can be honest with that. We are self-centered folks. We are looking out for ourselves, even in our wonderful marriage relationships where we are supposed to look out for the other. In the fight, who are you looking out for? When it's time to go to dinner, 
which food are you trying to get? <laughs> you know, like, when there's a battle, who gets to be the driver? We're always looking out for ourselves. And so God says, the first thing you want to, you've got to be willing to deny yourself, willing to say it's not about you, willing to say it's not about your plans, your drive, your desires, your things. You've got to be willing to deny yourself. The next thing is you've got to be willing to take up your cross. And this is not a spiritual statement. Jesus hasn't died on the cross when he made this statement. It has nothing to do with spirituality. All that Jesus is saying is you've got to be willing to be tortured to death by the, the enemies of you. Oh, that's a lot. And he says, that's the limit. And if you're willing to go to the limit, you're willing to do everything in between. He says, the limit, you've you got to be willing to be tortured to death by, by your worst enemies. People who have captured you, who have disrespected you, and you've got to be willing to be tortured and killed by them in a horrible, disgusting, shameful way. They strip you naked, nail you on a cross, and wait for you to suffocate to death or bleed to death or, or animals to eat you to death. He says, you've got to be willing to go that far if you want to be my disciple. But he's got, he says, you've got to be willing to take up your cross daily. You've got to be willing to work at it daily. Not just a singular declaration of saving faith, but an initial declaration of faith, which then leads to a daily declaration of faith. Is Jesus your daily declaration. And that phrase was sticking with me all this week. Is Jesus my daily declaration? I'm waking up in the morning, Jesus, are you my today's declaration? Am I willing to take up my cross daily, denying myself daily? Is Jesus your daily declaration? And then it says you've got to be willing to follow him to make your life look like his life. Your actions mirror his actions. Your attitude match his attitude. And then lastly, he says, are you willing to lose that life? That's everything when boiled down to it, right? That's the limit. You can't give more than lose your life. He says, you want to follow me? You've got to be willing to do all these things. That's the easy to say, hard to do thing about Christianity. Because I would say for the majority of us, I know you all pretty well, the majority of us, we're mostly willing to follow. We are pretty much willing to follow. And I would even say all the way to, I'm almost always willing to follow. I think this is oddly similar to exercise in our life. 100% honest. I am mostly not willing to exercise. And it's seen in this fine physique. Now, some people, so I just don't do exercise, right? Because I'm mostly not willing. Now, there are some people who are mostly willing. And you know what? They don't do it. And so they have the same fine physique. But they were mostly willing. So if you're mostly willing, what ends up happening is you just have mostly excuses. <laughs> and those excuses pile up so that you never exercise. See, Christianity cannot be lived in mostly willing mode. Mostly willing means not going to do it. Mostly willing means doing the things that I wanted to do anyway. Go to lunch with believers as fellowship? I'm willing to follow you, Jesus, you know? Go be with kids at VBS, and they're so cute, and I'm going to do the game time? I'm, I'm willing to do that. 
Go to Gleanings where it's 100,000 degrees and you work with peaches and you smell like feet and butt and armpit? Mostly not willing. So that, that's the part I'm not. The other stuff I kind of want to do. But see, Christianity can't be lived that way. It's not selective. You don't get to say, oh, God, I'll do that one, I'll do that one, or I'll do that one. God says, I want you to do this. And you can, you've got to say, here am I. Send me. Not, I'm mostly willing depending on the situation, God. Because mostly willing means you're not going to do it. So the angel comes to Isaiah, gets his attention, and he responds. My pastoral prayer for you is that as you encounter God, and you recognize you're a sinner like Isaiah did, and you confess your sin to God, and you become a believer, and then you make Jesus your daily confession, your daily declaration, my prayer to you is that you will get to this place where you can say, like Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Not with a caveat, not with a like, hey, I'm going to hold partial back. Hey, I'm, I'm mostly willing. But to say, God, I am fully willing. The only reason or the only way that any spiritual activity happens in your life if you are fully willing. Didn't you hear what Jesus said? He's pretty clear. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Anyone who loses their life is going to gain it for me. That's not partially willing. That's fully willing. And when we get to that place where we can say, here am I, send me, to whatever ask the Lord has. And that ask is going to be different. The thing that he asks Isaiah to do, it's not even possible now. We can't even do the things he was asking Isaiah to do. God is going to ask each of us a different ask. But our response has to be the same as Isaiah's. See, I don't know what God is going to ask you to do in your life, but he's going to ask you to do something this week. He's going to ask you to maybe talk to someone that you hadn't talked to. He's going to ask you to to be kind to a stranger. He's going to ask you to go out of your comfort zone. He's going to ask you to make a phone call to repair a bridge. He's going to ask you to do something. And that ask is different for everyone. And will you tell him, here am I, send me? Or will you say, well, I'm mostly willing, which means I'm not going to do it. See, God placed you in a singularly unique situation in this world. And God is sending you today right where you are. Here am I, then here is where you share God's goodness, God's word, God's work. When you think about the Great Commission, go into the nations and make disciples, that sort of thing. The go in the Great Commission means go where you are. It's exactly the same thing as here am I. Maybe you're in Irvine at a small company. Go there. You're a student in Tustin. Go there. Stay-at-home parent in Laguna de Gal. That's your go. If you find yourselves at Gleanings this week, then that's where you are. So go there. In a couple of weeks, some of us will be in Thailand. Guess what? When you find yourself in Thailand, that's the place you're supposed to go to that day. Here am I. Send me right here. You're going to wake up somewhere tomorrow, most of you probably. I hope all of you. But you're going to wake up somewhere. That's where you're called to go that day. Wherever you wake up tomorrow, say, God, here's my daily declaration. I'm going to to receive you again this morning. Walk in your grace. Here am I today. Send me right here. And that's wherever you are. 
See, when I went on my first missions trip ever, there was a good Christian friend of mine. He was a, he was a nice guy. He was a Bible study leader. He was super smart, but he was kind of like standoffish. He was kind of a jerk uh, in real life. Uh, I liked him because I like jerky people, but um, first time I went on missions with him, uh, the moment we crossed over, we were going to Mexico, crossed the border, all of a sudden he becomes like super Christian-y friendly. And he's like speaking in Spanish to the guards who are like shaking us down for extra money to get across the border for all the stuff that we're bringing in. And he was like talking and smiling and nice. And he was nice to every guard. And he was nice to every uh, store clerk. And he was nice to every single person that we saw. He was talking to strangers. And he was not like this when we were at home. And it was interesting because at that moment I realized uh, I thought that was sort of there was a disconnect. I thought it was a little bit disingenuous. And I thought, why don't you act like this when you're at home? And it was then that I realized in that moment that the mission field isn't somewhere else. See, the disconnect for me was because, like, it's okay to, I I hope you act like this when you're in Mexico missions, but I also hope you act like this when you're in Irvine. When we're at church together, (laughs) where's this guy when we're at church? You know how much happier his Bible student, uh, Bible study kids would have been if he would have been this nice to them at church? He would have been kind and gracious and loving and, and, and generous and gone out of his way to talk to them. That would have been so much better for these high schoolers that he taught. Instead of being over strict and mean and like, like oh my gosh, the, the Mexico, I won't say his name, person is, that was the Bible study person? Because some of you know him. <laughs> Your smiles reveal that you know his name starts with a V maybe. I love him. But the mission field isn't somewhere else. The mission field is where you wake up tomorrow, if you get to wake up. If not, you'll be in heaven, and then you'll be like, hey, no missions up here. Hopefully heaven. Now you're responding to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Get that squared away. (laughs) The mission field is where you wake up tomorrow. And here am I, send me, is appropriate at whatever location you wake up in at whatever situation you find yourself in this week, whatever you do tomorrow and God asks of you, the appropriate response is, here am I, send me. So as you hear God's word today, will you echo Isaiah's response? It's like, I'm mostly willing. (laughs) Get rid of mostly willing. Are you willing to deny yourself, let go of what you want, let go of your desires, your path, your reasons, and say, God, here am I, send me. Let's take a prayer moment together between you and God. I'd love for you to respond to him. I think for some of you, God's been speaking for the last couple of weeks to you. Or maybe this morning he's been saying something to you, that he has an ask for you. There's something that he wants you to do, and you know it, and you've been procrastinating, and you've been mostly willing for a while. But I want want to invite you to respond like Isaiah and say, here, my God, send me. I'm available. I'm willing. I'm forgiven. So send me. Would you take a moment and pray about where your tomorrow is going to be? and what God's ask is of you.